For that lovely piece there, Jean Jerome. Um, we are welcoming our special guest and my friend, Brian Walsh. Good evening, Brian Walsh. Good evening. How are you doing this evening? Uh, we're, I'm good. I'm pretty good. And Jean Jerome, good evening. Everyone tuning in, uh, welcome, a warm welcome to Brian. We've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time. We're very happy, yes. very honored to have you on. Oh, thank Absolutely. you. It's good to be here. So I want to welcome everybody to episode 32 of Ancestral Eyes, and we have a very special guest. He is a friend of mine. I've known him for a number of years, and we were able to connect through Facebook. And our friend Brian Walsh had been very evasive <laughs> when we first started our show. It was hard to pin him down. He has a very busy schedule, so it's not really his fault. But I have, want, I have wanted him on this show since the beginning. And so here you are, finally. Okay, finally, great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> no problem. I, you know, I was not going to let go, right? I'm Rottweiler girl, you know. And once I bite into someone, <laughs> I won't let go. <laughs> I'm sure that served you well in life. <laughs> oh, it has. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, like I said, Brian Walsh is a friend of mine, and he is a Irish scholar and his ancestral roots. He is also, well, I'm not going to say a bard because that is incorrect. Okay. So what I'm going to do is ask Jean Jerome to read your bio and have everyone have a listen to and uh, get to know a little bit about you. Okay, go ahead, John right. Jerome. Okay, well, it's my honor and pleasure. Uh, so Brian is a, a professional storyteller. He, I think he defines himself primarily as, that's his passion and vocation, to tell stories. And he's also a registered psychotherapist. He works as a spiritual care provider at, major, at a major mental health hospital and volunteers as a pagan chaplain at the University of Toronto. As a CRPO registered psychotherapist, Brian works with individuals and groups providing spiritually informed psychotherapy in both private practice and in a hospital setting. As a professional storyteller, Brian has told uh, Celtic stories at numerous venues, including the Toronto Storytelling Festival, uh, while guest lecturing at the University of Toronto on stage at Dundas Square, and deep in the woods around a campfire with friends. Brian has a background in world religions, Celtic studies, and spiritual care with a BA from the University of Toronto and a Master of Philosophy from the University of Wales and other graduate level training from the University of Toronto. Brian is especially 
interested in the intersection of spirituality, mental health, and narrative. Uh, no mm -hmm. matter which of his many hats Brian is wearing, story is at the heart of his practice. It's all about awesome. the story. It's all about the story. There we go. It's all about the story. Okay. So we're going to dive deep into our conversations. Um, we'll do our first preliminary, um, which we always ask all of our guests is, when did you start your spiritual path and what motivated you? So take it away, Brian. Give us a little bit of a background. Okay. Well, I was born at a very young age. And from there, I grew up. Uh, no. Um, I... My my family is uh, is has a, a blended heritage. Uh, Mum's side is Acadian French, and Dad's side is Scottish and Irish. So there's there's right. all three of those things going on. Um, and uh, I grew up with with Catholicism on both sides. Um, as as a kid, it was a, a fairly uh, positive version of it, like because some people have different experiences in the church. Uh, I had a pretty uh -huh. good one. Um, and I grew up as, as a military brat. So I was moving from base to base. Uh -huh. uh, basically every four years I was somewhere new. And Ooh, that's hard. Well, it, it's, it's really hard as a civilian, but as if, you're, if you live on base, it's not quite yeah. as bad because there's a culture of it and the kids are all part of the same uh -huh. culture. Where right. When, right. when you move as a civilian, sometimes you're the new kid until you die of old age, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's harder. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I can. Uh, there's a big difference there, um, and so even though uh, the, the the church was sort of um, it was okay for me as a child, and, and I was an altar boy, and I enjoyed doing the the rituals and the rites. Uh, as I started growing and thinking, and uh, there were parts of the theology that didn't that just didn't feel like they were mine. Like there yeah. were things. Uh, yeah. Things in relation to to women, things in relation to um, at the time I didn't notice it, but things that would eventually be related to uh, to my own queerness, like all of these pieces would would make a difference over time. Um, but as somebody moving around a lot, uh, it mm -hmm. also left me uh, it left me seeking roots. Right. So both my parents mm -hmm. are from New Brunswick and. Of course, the, the logical step might have been to, you know, mm -hmm. find roots there and in my own family. Um, right. But I'd sort of met, uh, like I'd met my own relatives very briefly and very uh, tangentially in a way that didn't, you know, through nobody's fault, like everybody was lovely, mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. we didn't fully uh, connect. Connect, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think we connected better, some of us. Uh, as adults later on and yeah. and it's an ongoing yeah. it's an ongoing goal right yeah but, but i felt like i wasn't from anywhere right and right so so this was very sort of textbook i wasn't from anywhere and i was in places where usually there was a lot of nature because um, a lot of military bases are yes uh, are in in wilder places right mm -hmm. uh, from from grade six to ten i was way up in northern alberta and I could literally get on my bike and ride for hours. I could ride as, as far as I could ride before I needed to turn back and ride home and still technically be on base. Like, wow. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. Um, oh, wow. And, but that gave me a, a strong sense of nature as well, right? Like, mm -hmm. so 
so growing up in a place where where um, like I think some of my my time in northern Alberta was really formative. You know, the mm-hmm. the days were were long in the summer and short in the winter and there was the northern lights and you know the yeah. bear, bears in the backyard half the time and well not half the time oh, but wow. often enough for it not to be weird yeah yeah, you know, when, yeah. When, when the conversation runs like this you're trying to leave the back door to go to school and school would be going through the woods down into a ravine across a creek up the ravine and to the <sighs> other side right so i can literally say i went back i went to school and back uphill both ways in 40 below weather, uh, 90 after wind chill, right? Like wow. this, this is nature that will, yeah. that can eat you. It forms right? you. Yeah. And so, oh, you're going back to the bears, you know, you'd look out, sometimes you'd shake the screen door and they'd leave. And other times the conversation went like this, you know, ma, there's a bear in the backyard, leave through the front. Like, like, <laughs> it's not even a surprise, not like this, leave through the front. Because normally we weren't allowed to use the front door, so. <laughs> um, but those, I bet that those... made a difference for the bear. <laughs> He's coming around through the front. Let's leave him alone. Exactly. Yeah, as long as you're not between them and the garbage cans, they're okay. Yeah. Um, so it was this this uh, this quest for roots combined with a. Uh-huh. Uh, a fairly decent religious upbringing to start, because I, I think that um, if you're brought up in something, it gives you a better foundation. It gives you some things to to, to unlearn, but it also gives I you a better so. foundation to to proceed as well. I and, agree. Because to go from like a zero, like a non, like an atheist point of view to a world full of gods can be a real leap. Yeah. Right. Where to go from Catholicism. I mean, the Baptists think that the Catholics are pagan to begin with. So, you know, with yeah. all the saints and such, it was, it was not too big a leap. Absolutely. All you have yeah. to do is sort of cut around it and you go, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it was, it was those things. It was the, the big nature, um, a good sense of, of wanting uh, a religion, wanting spirituality in my life, and then that quest for roots. And that quest for mm. roots brought me to uh, uh, to my Irish heritage, because I didn't see any French stories. Um, which I mean, there there's some great folklore I found out years later, but I'd already been mm. I'd already had my formation, right? Um, right, right. So sometimes it's just a matter of what's in your path. You know, what, right. What, uh, what is good? And it's up to it's up to the spirits too. They lead you down a different path. You know, the gods, the spirits, whatever you want to call them, you take that route and there is a reason for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I left the church right after my, uh, my first, um, not uh, my confirmation, you know, which, Mm -hmm. which is probably a day late and a dollar short, but you know, I, it was it was that very process that that actually was supposed to pull me in, and it, it just it confirmed that this was not my path. So what happened outside and what happened inside? I did the same was, thing. You did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was after confirmation. I sort of went, "Well, that was interesting." <laughs> yeah. I don't. It might be a function of the age too, right? Thirteen, fourteen, or whatever yeah, it is yeah. that time to was, time to look for something else. Something that yeah. spoke to you, right? Yeah, no, I hear you. Exactly. 
And so from there, I found um, I'd already been reading a lot of books on mythology, uh, even as a, a younger child, uh, Dallaire's book of Greek myths and uh, Dallaire's yes. book of, of Norse myths. Loved those. So I've, I've, I'm a fan of everybody's uh, mythic stories and the, the way they express truth. And yes. so looking for, for the Irish stories, uh, it was a kind of quest for home. You know, nice. which is not which is not a slam on the home I have in any way, but I was I was looking for the the thing that was under the thing. Right? Right. If, if this is home, what's what's under home? Right. Uh and, and years later, I mean that's that's what I, I end up telling my, my students who are uh, I'm training in spiritual care. You're you're looking for the thing under the thing. Or, right. or I'll, I'll share the, the Haitian proverb, behind the mountains there are mountains. Like uh. there's a there's a Mexican one as well that says, under the river, there is a river. Like, that's what we're looking for. <laughs> yes, yes, I, yes, yes, yes. Good, good analogies. I love that. And that's what yes. I've been looking for for all my life. And, and luckily, you know, fairly successful at yeah. finding it. Um, right. Yeah, I've, I've considered myself pagan since I was 14. Um, mm -hmm. Went through uh, a very long and significant uh, period where where I would have called myself Celtic Wiccan. Um, uh -huh. It was it yes. was what I could see. It was what was available. Um, right. But I also met some really good people who were part of my formation as well. I like everything too. has been a step yeah. on the journey. Yep, uh, I yeah. totally agree. So so that's the gist of of how I how mm -hmm. I found my path. Yeah. No, and, and you know, it's funny because I guess maybe growing up in Toronto, we all sort of had that, you know, I think the Toronto pagan community, we all came from somewhere and we all sort of, you know, converged together and shared stories. We, we kind of took the same path, like you said, the Wiccan path, you know, that's what presented itself until other things, you know, and other people you know, met some wonderful people. No, I totally agree with you. So um, with regards to your spiritual path, what made you decide to, to go towards your chaplaincy? And how did that lead to your professional life? So take us through the steps there. So, you know, you, you decided you were going to be a pagan. And how did that progress to you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, you know, even starting with the, the early stories, the, the Irish stories have a, a strong social sense to them. I mean, we, we have a lot of romantic notions about, you know, wizards who live off in the forest or whatever. Um, but the stories themselves also have a strong, um, a strong social justice component and also a strong social participation component. Um, mm -hmm. and a strong mm -hmm. voice against injustice. Like one of our mm -hmm. central myths, it's, it's uh, one of the side themes is pretty much against uh, bad taxes. You know, taxes are fine, huh? but it needs to be for the people. And they're pretty right. much saying it out loud in the middle of this grand story that's about you know, the gods and the demons. It would be, it would be like in the middle of the, the Greek Titanomachy or the, the battle between the Devas and the Azuras in India. And somebody's like saying, oh, and by the way, you didn't use that that money to pave a road. <laughs> like, where did this come from? Uh, so, so there's always been that that social sense, right? Yeah. yeah. It, 
if you're if you're doing something, do it in the world. Right. And so I've so right. I I was I was a pagan in the world. Pragmatic. Uh, yeah, and and so my my schoolwork was was uh, like my first degree was in world religions and Celtic studies with a minor in anthropology, um, and that was toward I was I was building a kind of the, the kind of background that I would see like a rabbi getting in his tradition mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. or a priest would be getting so it in was his already tradition. taking I, I yeah. was, it, it was willful I mean publicly like uh, on the surface level I thought that I was going to be a professor um, academia is complicated but but it was mm -hmm. all really in service of of my my vocation which was the the, the priestly vocation uh, no mm -hmm. matter whether I was doing that in the university or in some other way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was between that and um, like founding the, the the small tradition that that I still work in. We we've, we right. me and my ex wife founded a tradition uh, back in um, 1990, and it's been going ever since. Uh, the the circles have met for at least the holidays since. Since mm -hmm. all of that time, and uh, most of the people have wow. been with us for a really long time. Like it, it's we're pretty private, but we're pretty consistent, right? Nice, nice. And, and so that fed into it too, um, but because that felt like very private work, I needed to have a, a public face, right? A, not, not for its own sake, but you need to be doing mm -hmm. something in the world. Right. right. That's right. That is, uh, if if you're like you could be a violin virtuoso if you only play in your basement, and and right. only your cousins hear you. So what? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm you're right. Claiming to be a virtuoso, but but better to be a half-assed busker, and getting out there than than not getting yes. out there. Right. right, right. <laughs> no. No. For sure, you have to have that outlet. You know, it's like okay, so I've accumulated this, I've done this, but how do I connect with community? How do I better myself for community? Exactly. And and yeah, how do you, how do you give back? Because community helped shape Absolutely. me. You know, there there's yep. some really important teachers in the world that that I've had, and and to not do for someone else or not not try, at least try to do for someone else right. what they succeeded in doing for me would be a disservice right. right right and so back in 2002 yeah 2002 mm -hmm. um uh the position of, of paid chaplain at u of t opened up so so there already was one nice uh, yeah um before me, there was a Dana, Sh uh, no, yeah, Dana Shaw, and she needed mm -hmm. somebody to work alongside me. And before Dana, there was Elizabeth Mose, and I think she was the one who founded it. Um, okay. I, I hope I'm doing justice to that lineage. Uh, and and then when uh, when Dana left, um, uh, Catherine Starr came on. So we had a, a Wiccan chapl chaplain. And we had a Catherine. Celtic, yeah. And then we had a Celtic yeah. and Reconstructionist chaplain, and so the two of us were sort of the two sides of of popular paganism in certain ways. Nice. And, and we ended up doing everything. Like 
within the school context, we, we right. teamed up an awful lot. It wasn't it wasn't like two separate sets of tasks. It was uh, right, right. So many hands make light work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So when you decided to do this um, and you were at the university level, we when we had spoken privately, there were quite a few students that were obviously pagan and pagan friendly. And, um, you know, obviously you and Catherine Starr had plenty of people, you know, congregation, a mass, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then what happened? I know you still do that. You volunteer mm. at U of T for, uh, to be a child, to continue being a chaplain, a pagan chaplain. Right. right. But so tell us what happened at that point with regards to, you know, the student body and how, uh, how it changed now. So, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I do as, as a chaplain at U of T, um, there's some things that I do that are multi-faith and then there's some things that mm -hmm. I do that are pagan specific and there's right. a, yes. a group, a student group called uh, UTPS. So the university of Toronto pagan society, I think they've, mm -hmm. they've added earth based in there somewhere recently, but the acronym didn't change. Um, and back in the early to mid 2000s, like from 2000, like from when I arrived to mm -hmm. till maybe the, the next eight years, uh, oh. we were meeting every two weeks and there was always between 12 and 20 people there. And it was really, really thriving and it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, somewhere in, and I'm going to get the dates wrong, but somewhere in that period, uh, everybody graduated together, even though some were undergraduates and some were masters and one or two were doing PhDs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was somebody else who was, uh, an alumni, but, uh, they got a job out of town. Like there was this sudden, it just, it disbursement of people. Yeah. yeah. And, and not because like everything was fine. It was just a natural yeah. process of life, but it all went yeah. at the yeah. same time. And um, the students that have come after that have had to work really hard because it's like gravity, right? If you, the, the bigger mm -hmm. the group, the easier it is to get more groups, just like those, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if there's yeah. pebbles yeah. floating in space, it's easier to get yeah. more of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, UTPS is still around today and uh, there's still, putting on events on a regular basis. I was doing one mm -hmm. last night, actually. I was doing a storytelling event for them. Yes, yes, you uh, sent us a link for yeah. that. Sorry, I yeah. yeah, Yeah, no worries. But uh, we had six people there. So okay. it was, you know, it's, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, Catherine and I- It wasn't like person. the old days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't 20 people, but six is yeah. still good, right? Yeah. I just have- yeah. I have aspirations for them that, that it grow again and that it become uh -huh. amazing. And I'm sure that's what they want for themselves as well. Right. 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 Um, but it needs to be member driven, member run. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I can show up and do a thing or we can have a guest speaker come in and do a thing or Catherine will do a thing or, or whatever it may be. Right. Or the right. students can choose to do a thing, right? Like they run yeah. it. This right. It's about practice, helping them, uh, become leaders and become good participants yeah. and all of that. And so um, we're as, as hands-off as possible and as hands-on mm -hmm. as needed, but that's by request. Mm -hmm. right? Like somebody needs to say, you know, Brian, do you want to do a thing? 
Yeah. Because yeah. that way they can grow into their leadership and and just, you know, figure right. it out the way remember back in the eighties when we were allowed to figure it out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did and we survived. And so how yeah. is it now? What what's the generation now? Is there still that interest, you know, people um wanting to to you know spiritually invest in discovering themselves like what we did back you know in the day i i can't say actually like it varies no. yeah, it's I, hard to put your finger on it it's hard to put my finger on it uh in in part because uh you know i know when i was 20 i didn't tell the 50 year old everything right uh true so <laughs> Uh, so there's that part, but also in a world that's post-internet, I think needs get met in a variety of different ways. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, you're right. You're right. When we we didn't have yeah. that, you no. know, when we were coming up, no, we had to do our own work, going to libraries, going to other people's homes, etc. You know, no, that's true. You know, it really yeah. it's really sort of taken a uh, toll that way. You know, Absolutely. so that's interesting. Yeah, now, so I think I think just before we leave that point, yeah. information-wise, it's really given uh, the generation coming up a great advantage because there's so much information there. Uh, now they need really good BS detectors because there's a lot of bad information with the good. Uh, true, true. It, it can become more of an independent study, right? Yes, and and that's yes. on one hand that's great because mm -hmm. not everybody has other people to work with. But the, the downside of that is it makes it harder to build community, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, it, it's just different, right? The, the challenges are different and I'm, yeah. you know, yeah. I wouldn't want any of that to sound judgy or, or no. um, it's just, it's different. No. And so the no. best we can do is make sure that we're available insofar as yeah. we can be. Yeah. Exactly. It's a different generation. And like you said, now we're the elders and we leave this legacy behind and it's up to others to pick it up, if so be it, right? Which makes it easier. I think we've made it easier for the next generation, you know, because for us, it wasn't, you know, we were sort of like the groundbreakers, you know, because mm, there wasn't yeah. much to go on, you know, so. Or the ones that were just before us, like the ones who... Uh who we were looking to in the 80s, the ones who did it in the in the late 60s, early 70s, like that generation. Yes, that, thank you, that, you're that right. That generation. <laughs> they did, they left us the crumbs, we picked it up and we made gingerbread man, right, and stuff. <laughs> and we left bigger cookies and stuff, right? So let's just hope that that, you know, it continues, you know. I think there always will be, you know. Um, oh, so yeah. now it, yeah. So sorry, my cat's starting to jump on or trying to jump on me here. It's live and I have animals. So Wonderful. anyway, yeah. So anyway, so my another question that leads me into is your own personal practice. You you've touched upon that and um, with regards to the Celtic um, association with your Irish roots and and that type of thing. Um, tell us about some of the, the things that you did to go towards your professional level, you know, where, where you now deal with people who have 
mental health issues, and how did that come to be? Um, so going from your spiritual pagan path, your personal practice that you have established, how did that extend or move sideways to your professional working with people who have disabilities? Yeah. Um, so how did it start? So when I when I arrived in Toronto back in the in the late eighties, uh -huh. I was going to school uh, part time and working full time, and so mm -hmm. my my undergrad, you know, my my four year undergrad took me seven years, and my my even shorter masters took me seven more years, and I use that as just a, uh, a, a I'm kind of a living example of of you don't have to do it fast, right? And and when somebody looks at some, oh. Yeah, if someone says, oh, it'll take me a decade to do that. Well, in a decade, you're going to be a decade older. Do you want to be a decade older with it or without it? Or without it, exactly. Because uh, you're getting old either way. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless you've got a better plan, use this plan. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I was headed toward academia, to be honest. Uh, right. But by the end of my master's, that didn't feel like something I, I really wanted to do. Uh, and through through all of that time, uh, I'd been working at a bank. I'd been doing a variety of credit card related um, things, uh, risk management and credit management. And I remember uh, we we had discussed yeah. that once about being I, I was the guy who phoned people up and said, uh, uh, "Did you just buy one dollars worth of gas and then a stereo?" No, no, that wasn't you. All right then, we've got some forms to fill out. I was that guy. Uh, <laughs> among other roles, but for a while I was that guy. And, and that kept me going through school. But the, hey, whatever paid the bills, right? Absolutely. But the bank evaporated from underneath me. They moved to another city, uh, and I wasn't going to because my life was right. here. Right. And, uh, and it was one of the best things that could have happened to me. Like This is one of those moments where, where the gods put something in your path because... Uh, I'm not a big risk taker. And so I would have kept that seat until I retired and I would have complained throughout. And, you know, I mean, sometimes like me, I'm a role yeah. banker. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'm a role model. Sometimes I'm just an object lesson. You know, it, it can really go either way. Uh, but in that instance, I was, uh, I was just not moving. And so yeah. the bank moved. And I wasn't going to change cities, and so I looked at retraining. And at that point, um, I was uh, uh, looking at, at various possibilities, and I was looking at what my chaplaincy was looking like at U of T, and I, I stumbled across uh, what was once called hospital chaplaincy. Uh, now it's called spiritual care. Um, and the, the right, big difference right. is that chaplaincy is where... Uh, you're, you're kind of speaking on behalf of tradition in the same way that a priest or a priestess or a rabbi or whoever, they speak on behalf of tradition. Spiritual care doesn't do that. I mean, if somebody asks flat out, is this a thing in that trad? You might say so. But instead of yeah. this action, it's, it's right. this action. And you're, right. you're, you're getting okay. their feelings up out of them. You're, right. you're finding out what they really believe. Uh, right. And most people don't believe what they, most people don't even know what they believe, right? You're, you've got your surface beliefs, but then yes. the beliefs that you act on, right? 
Like, Im- and imagine. It takes, it takes a tragedy. It takes a tragedy yeah. or something to really challenge those beliefs until you dig a little bit deeper. And, you know, I know with you, with regards to how that led to, you know, dying and death, I'd like uh, to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so, I said it right, didn't I, Ryan? Did. Instead of death and dying, right? Because <laughs> it's dying and death. Dying comes first. Uh, That's right. So it was back in uh, 2006 anyway. I did my the hospital portion of my training. And because my degree was an academic degree and not a degree with, with pastoral stuff that, that like some of, the, uh, some of my Christian right. colleagues would have had, I had right. I was doing the hospital work by day, and at night I was doing courses in the uh, like the pastoral programs. So that's things like uh, religion and psychology through the life cycle, um, psychotherapy right. and spirituality, uh, right? So not spiritual direction. Um, I did a great course on conversion, but it wasn't about converting people from one tradition to another. It was about that ever deepening process, like. Okay, you've got this far. What's under that? Like, how do you really get down? Mm. And, and even though that one was taught in a uh, in a Catholic context, uh, uh-huh. humans are humans and beliefs are beliefs. How do you like? It was very. I could do the translation matrix in my head for for how does right. this work somewhere else, right? Right. right. So, yeah. Right. And so after after. The year of, of clinical training plus all of these uh, these courses that I was doing, uh, and my coursework was just ahead of what I needed to stay <laughs> in the program uh, uh-huh. because I'd come from another field. But right. I was also able to tell them because um, they have what's called an equivalency program, right? So uh, okay. this is what, the uh, the Canadian Association of Spiritual Care, or, the, or they're the ones who do the training, right? an equivalency program, I had to show that that this course in my tradition would be like um, New Testament studies in your tradition. Okay, okay. So so even though my Celtic studies degree, I mean, the people teaching me weren't teaching me um, as pagans, but they were teaching me material that I'm using in this way. Okay. Right? Okay. So if I right. if I were a, if I were a Greek pagan doing classical studies, you know, and I take a whole course on the Iliad, or the the Theogony and the birth of the gods yeah. and all of that, I'd be like, uh, they were teaching it to me in this way, but this is what I was receiving, so it's equivalent. Uh, okay. Because you you can't just start from nowhere, or you can't just start yeah. with, with yeah, no, it's uh, groundbreaking. Yeah, although I'm not the first pagan in Canada to to do spiritual care, uh, I think I might be the third. Really? Okay. Yeah. There's there's someone out in Alberta. Um, you'd think we'd know each other. We don't. <laughs> yeah, no, because I've never heard anyone other than you, Brian. So yeah, okay, that's interesting. What? When I got in, I'm like, I'm the first who's doing and I and I said this on one of the Yahoo boards and somebody else said, Well, actually, Brian, is <laughs> this one over here? Uh, wow. and pointed me to a woman in Alberta. Uh, I think she's since retired. She was just a little bit older than than I am. But yeah, so that's that was a surprise. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, I spent six years in uh, six or seven years doing acute care. And now I've been doing uh, about the same length of time doing um, doing mental health care. 
and, okay. and I've just I've been loving it. It's uh, it's a challenging yeah. job, but it's a, it's a really enjoyable job. Yeah. Do you have any like um, I know when we were talking privately? Um, tell us a little bit about some case studies, um, just to sort of give us an example of 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 you know sort of the meshing together of your faith based plus the dying and death and uh if you right. could just sort of give us the background yeah so when i'm when i'm doing my my hospital work when i'm doing spiritual care uh mm -hmm. even though my spirituality informs who i am it's not informing what comes out of my mouth because the practice is again drawing things up out of the client not right. putting things down onto them right yes yeah but uh, uh two like one quick example from each uh, from each field. Uh, the first one is the one that one that I talk about in the Dying and Death Symposium. So this has been uh, one that I've told more than once. But my very my very first patient, when I was uh, basically still an intern doing doing this work clinically, the pager goes off. My supervisor grabs the pager, sort of tosses it at me, and says, "Go see what that is." I had just had the hospital tour and just had all the basics. And I mean, I had some stuff behind me, but this was my very first actual, like non-theoretical uh -huh. encounter, right? And wow, so, do or I die, get, right? Do or, yeah. <laughs> so I get to, to, the, uh, to the department that it was in and uh, the, the patient had already died. And that's why the pager had gone off uh, to provide support for the family. Right. And so I arrive there and um, when I step into the room, the first thing that I, that I see is a, a family that, um, that, to my eye anyway, uh, looks uh, East Asian or looks you know, Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so I find out that most of them were new to the country and didn't speak a lot of English. Um, but there was one person who was uh, a relative of, of the deceased who did. He had a little bit of English, and they were trying to figure out what to do here, right? What what do you do in Canada? What's the right. what's going on here? But he also didn't want anything, uh, rightfully, he didn't want anything put on him or put on his brother that that was not uh, appropriate right. to them. Yeah. Um, and so he's looking at me, and I'm on the screen here. Yeah, he's looking at me, and he, he's trying to say, he says, um, "We're not Christian." We're not Buddhist. We're, and then he looks away and he goes, he makes this stepping motion with his hands. He sort of touched his chest and went like that while he was hunting for words. This is not a symbol for anything. He was just word hunting. And, and I saw that and I'm like, oh, you honor your ancestors. And the look of relief on his face that I could help him with the word finding. You know, it was wow. like, okay. So now he knew that at least one person wasn't going to try and... Um, give him something he didn't something need something else on yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. uh and so from there we were able to talk about um what his secular needs are and, and what the secular process is here in in canada and and he was able to tell me a little bit about how he would figure out um you know how he was going to work on doing the the traditional side uh, mm -hmm. the family mm -hmm. the family was Hmong. uh so the, the Hmong chinese are a particular group with a particular set of traditions and mm -hmm. um, you know, amazing rich history uh, and that really I mean it, it was it was sad but sorry to yeah. interject right there but uh, 
Ofunshi. That is the community he serves in his in the United States. One of the communities he serves the Hmong community yeah. in the United States. Oh, very cool. Where where he's a babalao, but he's regarded within that community as a shaman because of the equivalency of the you know the practice and everything. As we had on our last show. Very Interesting. Neat. I'll have to go back and, and listen to that one. I've been listening to a few of the shows, yeah. but I've been kind of hit and miss. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that, that moment, it felt kind of tailor-made because the other, the other students, the other interns that were with me, all had a Christian background and I had a world religions background. That moment happened yeah. much quicker and much mm -hmm. more smoothly than it would have for one of my peers. Uh, which is not a comment on their capacity no, or no. just we, but you we were know the, right the things person. we know. And so right person for the right time. So so the, the parts that feel sort of fateful or given are are me being evicted from the job that I really didn't want. And the very first person I saw, I was able to apply um, knowledge in a in a good way in the service of the client. Uh, not in mm -hmm. not in you know service of anything but their their need. But, and, their need and their beliefs and so when i do the dying and death symposium i tell that story uh in order to uh illustrate diversity and the importance of diversity and because Absolutely. we can't we can't know everyone i mean i happened to know mm -hmm. something about the Hmong, but if they were from the 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 people group next door i might have been completely lost so it's not about mm -hmm. having the right information all i mean it helps uh but mm -hmm. if you don't have that to have the right questions to come yes. with the right openness so that you're not making assumptions. Right. And, and those right. assumptions can be really dangerous. Like um, there are so many people who um, just because of exposure, uh, they like how many people in just, you know, folks in North America will think that every other religion is pretty much like Christianity, just dressed up in different clothes, right? It's all just Christianity and drag and it's not. You know, mm -hmm. there, there are, there are mm -hmm. different end goals, there are different things going on. I mean, there is a level where people are people, and of course, you know, there's, there is a level where, sure, it's all the same, but there's also a level where, no, it's not. And that no, level it's is not. deep. It's yeah. not just a superficial icing. You know, no. oh, you put up a tree, you light some candles, it's still that, no. Different stories. No. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. Different terra firma. <laughs> Absolutely. So that would be an example from the, the acute care side where, mm -hmm. where death was uh, a common occurrence. And mm -hmm. um, I was doing, in addition to working my own floors, I was doing a lot of on-call shifts at night. Um, and so at night when your pager goes off, it's always something horrible. Right? Where during the day on your floor, it, mm -hmm. it's, it could be just somebody wanting support. Uh, or on rare occasions, somebody wanting to express gratitude because their operation went well. Um, mm -hmm. We don't get those calls as often as, as I might like. We get called for the, the swampland of things. Um, that's... Can, can I ask you, did you deal with anybody um, during this COVID season, you know, during the first, um, the first wave, did you deal with any of the families or anybody that uh you know was dying no i had peers who did a lot of work in that in that department but uh it's because i was already moved to uh, uh like i was in a mental health facility uh we weren't mm -hmm. we weren't dealing with that directly 
a lot around the worry mm. that comes with it and things like that. Um, right. But yeah, it, it wasn't um, no no direct hands on stuff uh, mm. for that for myself anyway. So how was how give us um like for example so now you're in a health um, establishment, a mental health establishment. How do you lend support there through your, you know, your given faith-based chaplaincy to someone? Uh, well, it, it wouldn't be my faith-based chaplaincy, right? That's what I do at U of T. Oh, be, okay. Sorry, sorry. Right. Okay. It would be through so, the spiritual care. Yeah, two hats. Right. They, they, right. They That's right. Oh, my God. Little, but, yeah, definitely two hats. And then the storyteller hat is the, the big mega hat that covers them both. <laughs> it's the big uh, sombrero. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So, so in in both inst like what those two jobs share, uh, I mean, acute care and, and mental health care, is that people often don't have um, people to listen to them, right? And mm. there are there are things that that you might want to talk about that at the same time you may or may not want to talk about with your family. Like how often right. is, is the patient also being brave for their family, right? So the, so the family isn't being fully honest because they're really supporting the patient and the patient is, is suppressing some things because they want to put on a brave face for the family. And, mm. and right. there's a level of that where, where maybe that's great. Maybe that's part of the recovery work and the strength, like strength focused work. But then mm -hmm. there's also some stuff that's not being said. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm the the guy who's set apart, and you get to unload there, right? And and really sort of start digging in, and that's hard. It, and it's by listening in in the right way, and and asking the the right or well giving them the right affirmation and the right reflection. Um, you know I'm not a cheerleader, um, but I will mm -hmm. be uh, exploring different beliefs and over the course of a conversation if somebody says one thing and then says something else I'll have to reach back and grab the first thing and say how do these two sit next to each other right you know? right like right. like if uh, you know most of the the clients have a, a, a Christian background or a post-christian background and if in one breath they say that God is love and in another breath they say that they feel like they're being punished okay now I'm not going to judge either of these beliefs but let's put right. them right next to each other and let's and, look at this. Yeah. How are, how are they? Because clearly they're at this moment, they're true together. How are they true together? Or is one an outmoded belief? Is one something from their childhood and the other one is from their lived experience? You know, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if, uh, right. Right. If, if grandma told you that God is love, but you've had a really rough life and duck and cover has been your way of getting through things, then, then God might feel a bit of a bit of a lightning slinger there. You know, so yeah, how do you yeah. how do you pull all this together and and it's not my job to decide what that client believes but if i can bring them deeper in what yeah, that them, is and then um, and i have to come to from a place them. of unknowing if i oh yeah I, I know what this is and you just go this way like no that doesn't work no, no and you know and even if i were right like which i probably wouldn't be but even if i were right when when information is bestowed that way it only falls this far but if it's ah. called up, it has to come all the way up through the whole system. And, and then, that can be very and, hard and messy. And it's their answer. Not, mm. not something that some guy who they've been speaking to for 45 minutes has said. Who needs that? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You know. Answer. No, you must. You, God, you must have such such a place of compassion and such understanding. I wanna I wanna address the question here by Claire because I think it's a very good question. How do you close off from all of the pain, the secrets, etc. At the end of the day. Uh, I'm glad you said at the end of the day, because in the middle of the day, you don't. Um, you don't walk into the ocean without getting wet. Um, that would require a real special kind of dissociation, right? Where, where you're, you're in the midst yeah. of suffering and not yeah. feeling it. Um, you'd have to be turned off in a very, um, it's not a good, that, that, that would be my first sign of burnout. Right? Yes. If I'm, not, if I'm not feeling it, then you know, it hurts. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the at the end of the day, um, for for most of my career, I've I've lived in sort of proximity that I could walk, walk to work, walk home from work, right. but a, a longish walk, long enough and through green space that that I, I separate sort of work mind and home mind. Right. Um, right. And during the course of the day, if something has tagged something in me because we, we all have our own wounds and our own okay. traumas and our own whatevers. Right, right. Um, something triggers something within yourself as well, and you have to go absolutely. there with yourself. It's like, wow, I'm really activated around this. I can use my and why. And why. Yeah. <laughs> all of those yeah. things. So you have to do your, your own self-work all the time. And that's not a one-and-done thing. You know, no. Oh, yeah, no. I, I did my no. self-work, and no, now I'm not. here to help others. That's kind yeah, of like yeah, I showered yeah. once, and now I'm here to no. Yeah, and now I don't smell. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. It was 1984. It was fine. Yeah, no, shower today. <laughs> exactly, and shower every day. No, it's true. Yeah. You know. And that on a really so, bad day, so if, if the work is or if the walk isn't enough, then uh, there have been moments where a shower is exactly the thing. You literally just you know, let the water do off. it. Uh, yeah. So now with regards to all of that, and that's a very good question that sort of leads me into let's talk about your storytelling, because I have a feeling that your storytelling is part of that catharsis to get everything off. It's like having a good shower and, mm. and, and taking a good walk through through the woods and, and stuff. It brings you to who you are at core. And this is what oh, makes yeah. you right within yourself. And that's you, your, your, you know, your creative side. So, mm. so take me down there, take me through, through that and, and, and tell us about your storytelling. And am I on the right path when I'm saying these things? Cause I have that sense that that's what it's, so, what yeah. it's like for you. Yeah. It's storytelling when it's, when it's being done right, when I'm doing it right, um, it, it feels like a trans state. Like it's just its own space. Um, even though I've, I've told casually uh, my whole life, I really started taking it seriously in uh, 2012. Um, and the first time I got up to tell, like with a mic in front of a bunch of people, I remember getting up. I remember going to the mic. I remember sitting down. And, <laughs> at the end. and what happened in between? 
apparently I told the story and it was okay. Uh, <laughs> and it was okay, just okay. <laughs> well, I had practiced it a bit, so, but but yeah, it was my first one. It was okay. Um, nice, nice. The, the the first story I told was uh, uh, the Voyage of Bran, which is one of the oldest Irish stories we have. It's from the seventh century, uh, and it's the story of a man, um, a king, who. Uh, he's walking the the ramparts of his of his um, castle, and he hears a voice that's behind him. And no matter which way he turns, she's always behind him. And eventually, he falls asleep, and he wakes up with this branch with golden apples on it. And uh, this leads to an adventure, and he goes out into the sea. Uh, and I think that this, to me, this is a fairly spiritual story. It, it's framed in a Christian context for the most part. Uh -huh. But he, he and his men uh, travel out to sea and they come to an island. Uh, there's an entire genre of Irish stories called Imram or Imrama. And it just means voyaging or rowing about. Uh, they get to this island and they see people there that are just laughing and smiling and pointing. And, you know, they, uh, ah, no, sorry. First, he meets a threshold figure. He meets the god Manan and Maclear, the the god of the the sea and the headlands, the gatekeeper, and, the, and that opens up into uh, seeing otherworldly places. And then he gets to this island where everyone is laughing. Two of his men uh, jump off board to join them, and the minute they stand on the island, they also start laughing and cheering. And you know, it, it's like everybody's super high, uh, not yeah. the words used in the original story. Uh, but they have to leave them there because there's nothing that they can do. Like they're just so intoxicated with this ridiculousness um, and then they go to a second island called the land of women uh, and they're more careful about getting on or uh, getting off the boat and onto the island but one of the women throws a ball of yarn and when it when Bran catches it just sort of out of impulse you know, it sticks and with mm. a single thread she pulls him into the shore uh, um, and they, and they he's stay done there for. he's done for they have uh, uh, it's a better island. It's, it's an island with uh, with no pain and no sorrow, and you know, all it's all good things. But when uh, when they eventually get homesick and try and go uh, back to Ireland, um, three hundred years has passed, and when one of the guys try and step off the boat, he falls to ashes, and so because he ages all at once, like right. 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 And then Bran just has them, has the, the people just push the boat back out and off he goes. And that's the last you see of him. Uh, oh. so he sails off into history. And there's this beautiful poetry in it and there's some other good things happening. But, but the, uh, the notion of even after we've experienced the gatekeeper, we can, we can either do the full length of work and get um, deep knowledge or we can get the the superficial knowledge, the stuff that delights us, but doesn't, doesn't do anything. It just right? entertains us. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that sometimes our spiritual paths can be like that. Yes. And I'm not pointing yeah. at any particular path, like anybody no. can use one in a bad way. Absolutely. Right? So. And they get stuck. And they get, and they stuck, get stuck there. And, yeah. it, and it's all about the glitter and the, the crystals, etc. Right. Um, I was going to, Claire again has got another wonderful question because I wanted to sort of bring that 
storytelling to, again, your ancestral roots, the Irish, um, and, and you actually speak an Irish, la- you speak the Irish language. But before we do that, I just want to address Claire's question. Do you ever journal your feelings? I'm sure you do. I think you do. I actually don't. Not not often and not well. I recommend it to a lot of other people, but I am terrible. Brian, I thought for sure you would. Good I'm, question, I'm, Claire. Really? I'll, I'll talk it out or I'll talk it out in my head. Okay. Uh, but I, okay. I don't write much, and I find writing very hard. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, interesting. Like, I, I I compose a thing. I don't, like, I wouldn't say that I write a story. No. Even if I'm taking jot notes. Like, it's, I find writing just agonizing. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, Okay. Yeah. No, I agree, Claire. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. And see, I would never have thought that, Brian. There, I learned something about you. Oh, so, yeah. With, without a good editor, anything yeah. I've written is a nightmare. <laughs> now, now, if you're just journaling, like, like journaling for your own consumption, yeah, then yeah. that's fine. Yeah, that's um, different. But, but for yeah. somebody else, like if, uh, if my husband doesn't take a good look at what I put out there, it's, it's not fit for human eyes. Things go unconjugated, and this is in English. Like things are just. <laughs> uh, the, the the worst thing is, is I'll drop the word "not" from a sentence, which of course uh-huh. inverts the like. I lose small words. I don't like. I'm not. I'm not great on the page. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so no, I, I I need a lot of help to you. do that. I hear you. I hear you. So yes. Yeah, so now my other question to you is. Obviously, stepping onto your path, your spiritual path, and discovering your your roots because you wanted to have those roots, and so you you, I know you were led by your gods to the Irish part of you, and this is what led to you being able to speak, and you speak Irish, so. Um, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I just. I would compose something, but I, I don't write too much. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, so yes. Yeah, so take take me through your Irish language, as opposed to, like, okay. <clears throat> I know when someone says I speak Irish or whatever, I go, oh, you mean like Gaelic, right? And we and- would be incorrect, right? Because we had that conversation privately. So tell me a little bit about that and finding the history of, um, you know, your roots and, and mm. how that, how was that different from your Scottish roots speaking Gaelic there? Take, explain that for me. I'll, I'll be right back. I just have to check on the little kitty. We'll be right back. Okay. No worries. So, so just what are the different languages like? Or my journey with the language or what is the, what is it? With your the, journey with and, and the different, and, oh, you know, okay. the difference. Yeah, so I think that it's it's a really yeah, this is advice that I would have given myself back in '88 and failed to. If you've got an opportunity to learn a language young, do it. Um, I started learning Irish as part of my Celtic studies degree, and uh-huh. um, I did just enough to do the thing to tick the box to carry on because I was I was okay. all about the stories 
and not about right. the language because right. the stories were actually in old Irish anyway. I had lots of reasons and you can't tell a 20 year old anything. At least you can't tell me at 20 anything. Right, um, right. But if I could have gone back and, and really dug down then, because what I'm doing now is really digging down. Uh, but it's never too late. It's never it's a too little, late. No, it's never too late. My, my mom always said, it's always good to know another language, no matter you know when or where you pick it up. Right. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. So yeah. right now, um, my, my, my language is pretty remedial, um, but it's enough to write a, a simple prayer or it's enough to, um, hey, I was telling you good. that, that I, I read uh, a short murder mystery um, across. That's the, right. Yeah. Now, I mean, it, it was a murder mystery, so it was written for adults. But if you look at the level of writing inside, it was probably aimed at a grade four, grade five level. Um, like I've also got Harry Potter in Irish and I find that just a breath above my, my capacity, uh, right. or, an, or a newspaper, Irish language, Irish language newspaper, I'm, I'm hit and miss. So that, that tells you right, like that's the hey, upper that's end of good. my, <laughs> no, no, Hey, that's pretty good. You know, yeah, but the, the act itself to me is, is, is an act of devotion. And, and the more I know, the more I weave it into my storytelling. Um, in a way that's still useful for an English-speaking audience. Uh, mm -hmm. At some point, I'd like to be able to tell you know, a whole story in Irish to an Irish audience in a way where they only laugh at the funny parts. Like, that would be a goal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Instead of laughing at you. <laughs> it, yeah, I want them to laugh with me. <laughs> Though all the oh, Irish yeah. speakers I've met have always been very kind. So yeah. it's, it's okay. Well, they, 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 they would let me make a mistake or two, of course. Um, oh, that's good. They're yeah. kind then. My, you know, I was going to say my mom, when I would, um, you know, speak Polish or read Polish, she would just sit there and she would laugh. And I know it's not because of what I was saying uh, or, you know, the story or whatever it was, you know, she, instead of correcting me, she'd let me fumble through it. And she goes, what are you saying? I'd be like, oh, stop, you know, <laughs> but it's hard, you know, like when, and, and it's funny because my first language was Polish as opposed mm. to English, even though I was born here, right? But learning a language, speaking it, writing it, and if you're not constantly doing it, you fall out of practice. Oh, absolutely. And is that the yeah. same thing for you? Like, how do you practice to continue your, your Irish you know, and speaking it and that yeah. by well, I, do you go to like Irish pubs and speak. No, no, I would find that nope. so frustrating because it moves so fast. Um, um, I've got a I've got a novel that I'm reading. And so I read a little bit every day, even if it's just a couple of pages. And so that, that keeps me keeps me in tune. I've got a, an intermediate level book that I'm going through on my own, like a um, uh, a language learner's book that uh, that has mm -hmm. uh, audio mm -hmm. as well, so mm -hmm. getting used to the sounds, uh, and and so it's just a matter of sort of picking away at it on my own. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there's some some really amazing modern literature written in Irish. Um, there's there's mm -hmm. fun stuff that's been translated into Irish, like Dracula and the Hobbit and whatever. Um, but then there's also things that are like written first in Irish that, that are amazing that, uh, um, 
that are worth like it's something to, mm -hmm. to aim for and mm -hmm. it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like it's related directly to my spiritual path but it is related to the the larger cultural pursuit that that okay. the spirituality is is woven in with right right, right. totally yeah. totally so I'm going to ask you to give us an example of a story. If you can share a story. Because um, we were talking privately and I know we had spoken about one of your, I, would you call it your um, your patron deity, Lou? Yeah. Could you give yeah. us... Give us a story because obviously that is something that would you know come very natural to you so would you like to share a story with us before i hand you over to jean jerome i want a story sure, sure. yeah that would be fine let's see ah being seated is kind of strange i'm i usually tell standing up and i'm, I'm just going to stay down here because otherwise you'll okay. just see my knees okay. um <laughs> but I swear my well, stories you know actually live if, five and a if half you've feet got your phone, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, or you could stand up and, and walk and, and do your yeah, storytelling. No, that's, I don't that's okay. That's okay. Okay. So here's right. a story that, uh, that we tell, uh, at least in my particular tradition, uh, we associate it with uh, the winter solstice. Um, okay. Because uh, in, in some traditions, the winter solstice is all about uh, the rebirth of the sun. Uh, in right. ours, it's, it's not. Uh, the sun mm -hmm. is a, uh, in our tradition, the sun is a goddess. And mm -hmm. the, some of the things that happen around the winter solstice are about the things that are born in darkness. Uh, the things yes. that have their beginnings in the dark places. Right? Yes. And uh, my God is one of them. So, nice. Sometimes stories start V Shinan Agaspado V Damensh. Oh, no. This is the part that I'll need to peek at. Anytime a storyteller looks at their stuff, you know it's bad. But I, there's, this is how I, this is not one of my That's usual cool. starts. But I want to share it with you because it's beautiful. Um, and then I'll start it my way. I just love the rhythms of this right here. And I love the sound of it. Yeah. So sometimes traditional stories will start Vi Shinan Agaspado Vi Damensha An Anurshin Nivensha and Sha Anish. And that's it's it's got this rhythmic, you can almost hear like the the a pattern like the ocean in it. But the, I was just gonna say like the ocean. Yes. But the, the, the meaning is, is sort of more prosaic. Uh, there was a time and long ago it was, and if I were there then, I wouldn't be here now. <laughs> okay. It's, it's light and it's playful, but then the rhythm of it has a whole other, other uh -huh. level. But instead, I'll start this one. Fado, fado, noravi tuadidanan, najihaid fain, inagoni inaran. Long, long ago, when the Tuadidanan, the gods themselves, lived in Ireland. Ireland belonged to the gods. Well, almost. 
You see, alongside the Tuatha the shining tribe of the gods who descended from the northern heavens, there were also the Fomor, often terrible giants, who arose from the abyss itself. And among these giants was a king named Balor. And Balor was terrible to behold, but more terrible still if he beheld you. For he had one eye, he had another eye, but he had one eye that was so big, it took four men with hooks and chains to lift the lid. And if you saw that eye, it was terrifying, but more terrifying still if he beheld you, because this poisonous eye would strike down all that it looked at. He had a wife named Kachlin of the Crooked Tooth. She was called that because she had one tooth that was so long and twisted that she could use it as a cane. They were a hard and terrible couple. But among their children was one as fair as they were foul. And her name was Enya, which means kernel or seed. And Enya was kind and gentle and beautiful and wise. But it had been prophesied that should Enya ever bear a child, it would be a son. And that son would be the death of her father. So Balor took Enya and he brought her to an island in the north of the world. And there he built a tower of glass. And on top of that tower of glass, he built a crystal bower. And in that crystal bower, he put Enya with only her handmaidens to keep her company. And around the base of the tower, he set guards so that no man would ever approach his daughter. And so it was. And so it would have been, except it came to pass that Balor stole a magic cow from the Tuatadanan, the glass goblin. She was an amazing beast that made green any field she entered. She was never without milk, and all of the other cow cows around her would become more fertile just by her presence. He had stolen this child by transforming himself into a red-headed 10-year-old boy. But that's a story for another time. He'd stolen this cow, and he needed a place to hide it. Well, he already had one hiding place. So he brought the, t the, the cow to the north. He brought the cow to the island, now called Tory Island, for the tower that was there, into the Tower of Glass, and up into the Crystal Bower. Well, it wasn't long before the Tuatidana noticed the absence of such an amazing beast. And so they, they sent Kian, whose name means enduring, to look for it. Well, Kian looked in the north and in the south, in the east and in the west. He looked around the edges and he looked into the center of Ireland. And he couldn't find that cow anywhere. As enduring as he was, he was about ready to give up when Birog found him. Birog of the mountain, she was a druidess of great fame and great frame. And she looked at him and she said, uh, I know where the cow is. And he was delighted to hear that. And I know how you can get it. And he was delighted to hear that. Because Birog had a plan. She reached into her bag and she pulled out one of her own dresses. 
Now, Kian was tall and Kian was broad in the shoulder, but so was Virag. The dress fit just fine. She put that dress over Kian and she did his hair in a womanly style and she pinched his cheeks and she stained his lips so that they could get close to the tower without <laughs> being spotted as a woman and a man. And then she raised her hand and she wafted them away on a druidic wind. When they reached the island, the gravelly shore crunched under their feet. And as they walked toward the Tower of Glass, they saw the guardsmen. And the guardsmen saw two women approaching. And as the two women approached, just as one of the guards was about to say, wait a minute, Virag waved her hand and all of the guards fell into a deep druidic sleep. And Kian went into the tower. He went into the Tower of Glass and he went up and up and up to that crystal bower. And there he found the magic cow. But that's not all he found. He also saw Enya. He saw her and she saw him and they immediately fell in love. He tore off his womanly clothes and he started to rush toward her when whoosh, all of her handmaidens stepped between him and her. And one of them looked at him. The bolder of the handmaidens stepped forward and said, uh, looking at him up and down, half-dressed, we are here to protect our mistress from the advances of men. But we too have been in this crystal bower, in the glass tower, in an island in the north of the world for a very, very long time. So if you can sleep with each of us in turn, you may, after a time, sleep with your beloved. <laughs> and so some mm -hmm. stories say that she had nine handmaidens. Some say she had 12. <laughs> There's another version of the story that says Enya had 900 handmaidens. <laughs> Kian really was enduring. And so after a time, he and Enya were able to lie together. And after a little more time, he was able to sneak out of that tower with the glass goblin, with the magic cow. Well, <laughs> when Balor found out that that cow was missing, he was furious. The skies darkened, the earth shook. But he was even more furious when he discovered that Enya and all of her handmaidens were all quite pregnant. <laughs> he brooded and he raged. Blizzards covered the north and the sea was choppy and terrible. He looked over <laughs> the whole of the land with that baleful eye of his, all to no avail, until all of the children were born and he conceived of a plan. They were conceived all together and they were born all together and Balor was ready. He brought men with coracles, ships, and he had them gather the children in, in sheets. He, they were gathered in sheets with stones in the bottom of the sheets, and they were rowed out to sea. Bundle after bundle of baby was rowed out into the cold, dark North Atlantic Sea. 
But as the last bundle of babies was put into the last coracle that was about to be shipped out, one little hand reached out from between the folds and undid the pin that was holding it, and one little body slipped himself out and between the rocks. And as that last boat was rowed out to the sea, to a whirlpool in the darkness, Birog had been waiting on the shore. And she picked up that child, and as she looked out at the sea, and she saw the bundles and bundles of babies thrown into the dark North Atlantic, she again sang a druidic spell over the water, and each and every one of them were transformed into seals. Seals whose descendants to this day can still be found in the north of the world. And that um. island, Tory Island, can still be found, and that bay, Port Nadelig, is still named for the pin that was opened there. The Tower of Glass can't be seen anymore, but Enya's crystal bower can still be seen high in the northern sky, and around her circle, all 900 of her handmaidens, the circumpolar stars. So it was that the child of promise was born. So it was that the child of promise was saved. Yorav <clears throat> brought the baby to Kian, and Kian brought the child to Teltu, Teltu whose name means great land. She was for Bulug. They were a tribe that were neither Tuadidanin nor Fomor, and she raised that child in secret, her and Manan and And he was raised with the help of warriors and druids and artisans until he was skilled in every art and well prepared for his destiny. Now it would come to pass that someday he and Valor would meet on the battlefield, and he would take Valor's head, and he would use that baleful eye to drive the rest of the Fomor into the sea. But that, that is a story for another time. May those who have heard this tale be blessed by its telling. Wow. Wow. You know, it's funny. Listening to you, I could see within my own mind the whole story being revealed. It, it's, like, it's like when you actually read a book and you have your own story in your mind. And it's mm. so nice when someone actually reads to you because it allows you to sort of drift off and see that story unfolding in its own particular way for yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. No, I love story. I love storytelling. You know, truth be told, okay, a private little thing that me and my ex, my first ex-husband used to do was he used to read me stories before I went to bed. Nice. And I used to always tell him, I go, here, pick a book, any book, and read to me. And he would read to me, and I would drift off into sleep just like a little kid, right? And I loved it because that I could picture. Wonderful. Yeah, and I could picture every one of the things until I, I probably went off into dreamland and, and, you know, snored away and whatever and got up in the middle of the night. But, mm. no, you have a lovely voice, Brian. And, honestly, it's yeah. enthralling just to listen to you. You know, I could, you know, <laughs> you could tape some stories for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll play it, and then I can fall asleep at night. 
Well, at, at some point, I would like to put something together with a little quiet music in the background or just yeah. the sound of the sea, right? I don't yeah. think anybody's copyrighted the sound of the sea. I could use that. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I saw, sorry, Jean-Jerome, I missed all the people, um, you know, making comments on uh, on the story. There were some kind words popping up, and I, I appreciate each and every one of them. Thank you. No, I love it. No, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for You're that. You're very welcome. That. I love that. And now I'm going to hand you over to Jean-Jerome, who... I know he has his own questions and I know you guys are going to delve deep into some stuff. So take it away. <laughs> okay. Great. All right, Brian. Uh, says that was darn good. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, says beautiful. So yeah. I'll see who that is later. I appreciate it. So, yeah. There's definitely a place for those stories. Oh, there's another one. That was a great from uh, Carmela. That was a great story. Thank you so much. I remember my dad usually ah. told told <laughs> stuff around the fires in wintertime. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And of course, the best stories are around fire pits, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's that's our original hearth and our original altar, right? That, yeah. That little fire pit. Yeah. 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 But I love this particular story because even though it's not really about the seals, no. um, you know, I, I like the fact that this uh, that the casualty rate in this story is not 900 children. Like that would just not be okay. Yeah, um, no kidding. I was like, oh my god, 900 children, and I was thinking Trump right in my yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, they they all become seals. They live a different world. Yes, but that's in the, right. In the Welsh version of the story. Uh, there are only two children. Uh, oh. the, there's one child born, and he immediately jumps up and runs into the sea. And he's never seen again. Like, he just dives in. He is ready for life under the waves. And, <laughs> and then the second thing that falls out is this little lump. And that lump uh -huh. is put into a chest by a magician uh, where he waits for it to be ready. And then pulls it out, mm -hmm. and it's Lou. Or the oh, Welsh version, okay. Clue. But there's okay. still that... that one in the deep and one in the like there's yeah. something going yeah. on there yeah uh, the water think, yeah with the water and i think consciousness is like that too though right like yes, how much is. of us is is just under the water and and how much of us can we pull out if if, if we can get one nine hundredth of us out well great it's a start uh, <laughs> And that's the whole point of meditation, and especially like transcendental meditation. Um, mm. When I was on two years ago, to 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 try to do is actually going deep within and bringing that up to the surface, you know. And it is; it's a little bit of a story that comes from within yourself, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so uh, thank you. So, John Jerome, what are you thinking about? Yeah, oh, I've, I've got a list. Uh, so. <laughs> Ryan, one, one thing I, I wanted to start off with, uh, there's quite a few themes or, or basic areas where I wanted to sort of go into a little bit deeper. And also I wanna, uh, I'm gonna po uh, post in a moment a uh, question from Beth, which is sort of related to one of my questions. In that beautiful story you, you narrated, um, there are several references and to the word druid. Druid, mm -hmm. druid. 
Yeah, because um, Birog is the druid there. Yeah. Birog. So uh, the question is, in your own research and in in terms of the composition of these stories, were these stories or some of these stories associated with, and you'll see where I'm going with this. Yeah, I think you'll know where I'm going with this. Were some of these stories and ancient tales, the language itself, were they in some ways associated with the Druids? And was the name Druid really a name used in Irish? Or was there another term used? Okay, yeah. It's because literacy came late, uh, we were often guessing. Uh, okay. But but with, with these guesses, there, there are still better and worse guesses, right? Because some, some people will say, oh, if we don't know for sure, anything goes. But that's, right. that's not the case. Uh, what we do know from, from the medieval period, from the, the 4th century all the way through to the, the 1600s and maybe even later, that there was, uh, in English sometimes the word bard is used, but there's a, a, a class, a fila class. And fila is has the same root as um, vision in some ways. It, that, that V, Fi, that sound, it's, it's the, the visioning word anyway. But these were the, the keepers of the, story, of, of the storytelling tradition. And there were nine grades of, of fila. The, the highest fila, the, the olive, that word is still used today for a professor, like just to regular university professors called Olive, and uh, uh, the highest rank of bar, well, of Fila was called, um, was called Olive as well. And it would take at least 12 years to achieve that, that rank. And you would need to know like 250 stories, plus there was 100 other stories that we didn't get uh, even a reference to, because um, there was inner and outer teachings uh, even in the in, in the Christian period, but it all rolls back into um, the original tradition. So um, there are there are some scholars who think that that you know you would go through all of your fila training, which could take twelve years or more, um, and to become a druid, it could take twenty years. So the druids were the the law keepers, but also the the ones who had to oversee the rites. Um, and some of this we have from, from classical sources, because in a lot of the folklore, especially the later folklore, um, we, we know from, from the histories that they were priests, but from the folklore, they look more like magicians. Uh, and that could be, it could be because the, the two were, were sort of blurry together in the same way that, that you know, sh Siberian shamans I mean, they're the priests of their people, but they kind of look more like magicians to our eye. Uh, or it could be because um, like they just didn't write everything in because it's being written after the fact. Right, right. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, is that it was written down at all. So even though the stories were written down, changed, and some of the things that I treat as myth are technically folk tales or technically uh, medieval romance, you know, like like the Arthurian material, I don't use like that would be the other island, uh, but it's it's technically medieval Irish medieval romance, but it points to themes and stuff that, that are from before. Uh, so the story that I just told is is uh, from a, a sort of a compilation of several 
folk tales that were gathered uh, in the late 18, early 1900s, where in our manuscript tradition, where we would get the, some of the, the older material, that entire story is one line. That's it. <laughs> so I'm glad we got the folktale. Uh, so so just, just to, to recap, just uh, again, so by what you describe from your research, from what you've been able to piece together, understanding that some of these things, again, were oral traditions and, and, and mostly oral tradition until later in the Middle, Middle Ages where some things began to be written down, but they were also then tainted by Christianity and other, other influences that would have, you know, sort of shifted the focus or the, you know, the, possibly shifted some of the focus and the intent. But from what you described, the fila, that, that you know, sort of initiatory, that, that sort of graded, uh, graded uh, sort of level of fila, eventually if the fila mastered those interesting 250, we had the conversation, 250 yeah. <laughs> For all those, uh, you know, sort of tuning in and that have some knowledge of Ifa, Ifa has essentially 256 Odu Ifa, right? So we were talking about, you know, possibility. It's interesting that those stories are, are numbered around that, that same number, 250. Yeah, we, we were talking about the, the Irish triads. Uh, exactly. I'll, I'll get back to that. And there's there's 256 of them, and I was really excited because I thought it might exactly. be the it might be rooted in the same kind of binary system. And then exactly. I took a closer look, and I'm like, no, <laughs> that's just as many as this guy gathered. It's it's not a, uh, but it's still interesting. But but following that train of thought, so basically, again, the, the as you sort of went through the ranks based on your your mastery of these stories as a fila later in that journey depending on once you had sort of amassed that oral tradition and had an understanding of the also the the um, the you know pearls of wisdom that are mm. sort of mined in those stories and those lessons with morals and then we'll we'll get into a little bit you've mentioned that in many cases in some cases those stories are 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 chanted or, or narrated, but also with a form of blessing or mm -hmm. a form mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, wishing or even incantation in some way, maybe, you know, throwing that out. But yeah. uh, but ultimately, later on, only after mastering those stories, was that they, they would be considered for the Druid class? Is that is that an accurate uh, sort of summary? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be, uh, it's not the only theory out there, but it's the one right. that I subscribe to. And uh, okay. uh, yeah, because I can't imagine two parallel streams of story studying, you know, one one that dead ends at, at one level at 12 years and the other one that keeps going. Um, right. So they, they kind of build off of each other is is one of the ways that, that it may have, have worked. Um, and the, the stories themselves, even though they were changed by Christianity, uh, that was also the only way they would have been recorded at all. Like if you look at, uh, at France, if you look at Gaul, um, none of those stories were recorded at all. Like right. that's, that was the other option, is just losing it all. Right. But what, what happened in Ireland is because these stories were so important as legal precedents, as part of the histories of important families, uh, it was it was really integrated into the into the whole of the culture, and so you ended up with 
a kind of dual tradition that was going at the same time. So one of the stories that didn't, you know, we were talking about this, one of the stories that didn't get covered uh, or, or get recorded was the creation. Because right. that, would, that would conflict with Genesis. But what they did is if you think of the, where am I? The, the tree that is like biblical tradition, yes. what they did is they took the Irish tradition and grafted it on right after Noah. And so the right. biblical tradition keeps going here. And right after Noah, there's this jut off and some people end up in Ireland and then the Irish tradition carries on from there. So they, it's like they took the, the Irish, if the Irish tradition was a tree, they cut it from its root, but then regrafted it onto the biblical root um, and did some really elaborate things that gives you the, the exact date of when the two a day arrived according to a biblical calendar. Um, the, uh, one of the other favorite things that comes out of that sort of collection of things, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of really wonderful sacred stuff, but then there's some silly stuff like, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel story? Yes. Where all the languages are, brought, are, are broken apart? Yes. Well, the Irish sent people all over the world to gather the best of all languages and pulled it together, and that's what became Irish. Like, it's this medieval, it's like, really? Like, <laughs> but it's hilarious. Uh, so, so they, even though they were not above changing things in their home tradition to suit biblical needs, uh, they kept a lot because of the, the legal precedent. And at the same time, they were not above uh, doing the same shenanigans to the biblical tradition to just, you know, we're the people who have the stuff. You need to know that, right? And so it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> wonderful. And so in the midst of all of this seriousness, there's also these, these elements that, that you can't help but laugh. Like, uh, that, is, that is delightful. Um, and that's, the, that's a part of the tradition that alongside these serious things is a lot of humor, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jean-Jerome, you were asking about the, the blessings. Um, yeah. The, uh, there's a, a thing that's found at the end of some Irish stories that, uh, like at the end of the Toyn Bakulna in its manuscript form, the, the Toyn Bakulna is this big cattle raid story. Uh, it's sort of the Irish Iliad. But being Irish, they're not chasing after someone named Helen. It's about cattle, because of course it is. <laughs> and they, at the end of it, it says, a year's, one of the three blessings of the Toyn Bakulna is one year of protection to anyone who has heard it. Right. And at the end of the, another portion of the manuscript, it, it says, the, um, uh, a blessing to all who memorize, to all who, who, uh, memorize this in this form and puts no, and put no other form upon it so they're trying to make a conservative effort to hold it in one place uh, which is funny because they changed it in writing it down to begin with so there's a bit of you know you know if i ask you not to change something but you know that i like just changed it the ink isn't even dry yet right right so there are complexities in the culture right but what culture doesn't have those well it's interesting you you mentioned you mentioned the Tower of Babel and that sort of link. Now, now this is really expanding. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> material to cut here. In the Odoifa, uh, in the Afro-Cuban text, Ofumba Trupum, we talk about essentially the, the Tower of Babel. There's a reference to the Tower of Babel in the Odoifa Ofun Otrupum in the Afro-Cuban text. But right. what I'm what I'm getting at with that is 
it's interesting because we have that in the in the Yoruba Afro-Cuban Yoruba under Afumba Trupon. The the flood again is is mentioned in Oyekumei, right? Which is the the, the bay flood where where essentially all life began, uh, stopped, and then mm -hmm. it, it started up again. So there's mention of that. Uh, also, other references or references to that flood in Osarete and other other Oduifa. Uh, but interesting in your in the story, you actually very eloquently narrated, and now you talk about this other sort of mention of the story, the the, the symbol of a cow. The symbol mm. of a bull or a cow, you know, seems to be very pre uh, prevalent or present in the 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 you know the story, and it's interesting because when you look at, uh, you know, the divine bull was was a symbol from Babylon, and was a symbol from in, in Mesopotamia, so it, you know, you begin to wonder, say, okay, how much. You know, of of the you know the the joke is actually is there some truth in that, that some of the yeah. ancient, you know, Mesopotamian and Babylonian uh, religions or beliefs, especially when it came to divinities and the association of certain animals or totems mm. to the divine, like the cow, like the bull, sort of happened to make their way over to. To Ireland, right? Especially after you know the decline of, of those civilizations, uh, and yeah. you know trading, uh, you know, through either through trade or through uh, mm -hmm. you know um, yeah. uh, when they're looking for refugees or what have you, right? Like just over time, mm -hmm. it sort of mm -hmm. went over to to Ireland. Uh, so I find that interesting that the two two stories you mentioned have that symbol, right, and uh, linked it to the divine. Um, the other, the other thing I wanted to, to sort of, again, also, uh, the commonality of so many cultures, whether Nordic, uh, you know, uh, Germanic, uh, and, and other, the, the, the concept of, uh, giants, mm. uh, earthbound mm. divinities or divinities, sometimes, oftentimes associated as being, I wouldn't say demonized, but there's possibly an element of that from Christian you know, influences or overtones, but definitely mm -hmm. a major force and a force of, of primordial importance in terms mm -hmm. of usually the, the, the primordial gods are, you know, whether you call them titans or whether you call them uh, the giants or whatever term mm -hmm. is used in the culture, that they, they play, uh, or, or the, uh, the, the giants in, uh, in Nordic tradition, right? Uh, that there's definitely a, a you know a co common correlation or common mm -hmm. theme that exists, right? There's that that presence. It kind of brings my me to a question that um, Beth had, which basically says in this concept of of gods or list of gods, there's quite quite a an ample pantheon which is described within the Irish or uh, gods. Uh, Beth had asked because uh, you mentioned you know an affinity with the with the god Lu. Um, how did you? She's asking how do you identify your patron? Like uh, so, which which sort of ties into my other question. Now, when you have the stories, you have the, a little bit of you know the the seeds of the cosmology that you mentioned that you know they, it was sort of grafted on, but they sort of found a way to to link it back so you get at least an inkling of what, what it was before Christianity. Uh, what 
method of divination or um, you know, is it through clairvoyance? Is it through some other ogam or some other method of, of uh, or is it through reading entrails, which was, I believe, an interesting, a very common practice within the uh, both human and non-human, um, uh, which was a common practice to, to, to foretell the future. Uh, how does that survive today? And in your particular own practice or your own, sort of study of this, how have you, how do you seek, you know, further spiritual insight as opposed to archaeological or historical or literary? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just, you just sort of had a, a whole range of things oh, yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to go all the way back and start with the cow. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to encapsulate, sorry for interjecting, I'm sorry for interrupting. I think what Jean Jerome is basically saying, so do you read entrails? Okay. No, no oh. I'm a city boy. No. Okay. <laughs> now, if, if I were a farmer, and if I were versed in that way, um, then, then I, I don't know, I can't, I can't speak to what that would look like. But, but as, a, as a city boy living with a vegetarian, no, there will be no, there will be yeah. no... Uh, <laughs> reading of entrails <laughs> but uh yeah the the cow is a is a very central figure and one of the the primary deities the the goddess of the river boyne which is one of the important rivers oh. of ireland uh bowen uh, her name literally means white cow and oh. that that bow word is the bovine word uh in india there are um the govinda is, is the, a similar, Govinda is basically white cow again. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the Milky Way is, is called uh, Belach na, na Bohinya. So it's the, the way of the white cow. Ah. And so, so there's a river in heaven and a river on earth. Um, and so uh, she is also called Enya, the, the same Enya that, that was in the story. So there's, there's oh. sort of a celestial her, then Bowen, is sort of her terrestrial form. Um, and then in freeing the waters of the Boyne River, uh, which is actually freeing all the waters of the world, uh, kind of like that story where Yamaya has a really bad day uh, yeah. and, and the oceans are born, like that. Yeah. Um, different causation, but anyway, she releases the water and uh, she becomes Drumhlajalen, the roof of the ocean. And so she has a celestial, an earthy, and an oceanic form, but she's still Bowen. And the cow itself is, is central. There's a lot of really important cow and horse symbolism. Uh, the, the cow mother and the, uh, oh, it's a very spiritual animal, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So the, the cow mother and the, the horse lord are the two that get together, the fire and the water, are the two that get together um, for, for the birth of Angus. Angus's name means that uniqueness of power. And he is the, the child of the child of fire and water. He is uh, he's love and beauty and youth. Um, imagine if Eros did Apollo's job, except for the sun stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. He'd be that. Um, and so, so his, he's has this impressive union of, of two very different things coming together. So the cow is really uh, vital. And a lot of our stories um, sort of, you can see from India across to Ireland, uh, 
not so much the Near East. Like there's a there's a different language group that does the Near East and then down into Africa. Uh, but everyone was talking with everyone. I mean, Phoenician fin, uh, Phoenician tin traders were talking with the folks in the British Isles, and so I don't want to make a really hard split. But the Indo-European mm -hmm. languages from India through Iran and then up into all of those countries that well, and the rest of Europe, you know, except for the Basques and the Finns, they've got their own thing going on. Um, I, they they all have a, a similar storyline, and that's where you get the the Azuras and the Devas, or um, Jean-Jerome, you mentioned the, the Norse comparisons. I think of the Fomor uh, as very much like the Yurnar. And the Tuatidanan are very much like the Asir. And the Fubulug, the, they're very earthy. Uh, they're very much like the Vanir. Vanir, exactly. And so you get mm -hmm. the same three sets. And and Teltu, the one who takes the, the child away to be uh, his foster mother, her name is the same name as the Roman Tellus. Tellus, uh, like the phone company, Tellus. Uh, that's, oh. that's the Roman name for Gaia. Mm -hmm. Oh. So Gaia was called Tellus, and Tellus is the same name as Teltu, not because they were borrowing from each other, but because they share a primordial root. Um, in the same way that the, the Irish god Nechtan is the Roman, is, is linguistically, I'm not going to say the gods are equivalent, but is linguistically similar to Neptune or in India, Apam Nepat. Right? There's, there's these connections mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um, now uh, some people are lumpers and some people are splitters as far as you know, <laughs> everything is different or everything is, I, I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> You're not going there. <laughs> I'm not going, well, not tonight. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I'm a lumper and sometimes I'm a splitter. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, though, that addressed the first two things that you mentioned, uh, Jean-Jerome. The, the third yep. thing was just, what was the third thing? Divination. Right. So, there's always three things. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my all about own, the three. All about the three. Yeah. Um, my own practice of divination. I don't do too much formal divination, to be honest. Uh, when mm -hmm. I do... I'll, I'll use uh, Oum staves uh, sometimes, especially at Samhain, we'll do our yearly divinations. Um, some modern methods like the Druid Animal Oracle, like I love the pictures on the cards. Uh, I'm not a fan of what's in the book as much, but the cards mm -hmm. are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the, the book sometimes is, is looking at lore in a way that, that I might look at lore, and other times there, there'll be like an entire paragraph talking about the goddess. And I'm like, mm -hmm. who? Who? Because if you're talking about uh, Bowen or if you're talking about Morrigan, right. the goddess, you know, Which those one? two have very different characters. And yeah. so mm -hmm. it's, it, it's drawing from a different thread than the one that I pull on. So, um, but I do like those cards. Um, often it's just a, uh, a sense of knowing or or watching omens you know like the mm -hmm. an incredible mm -hmm. flight of birds erupting on my walk to work or something uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I that's that very meaningful and sometimes it's just a flock of birds you have to you have to not overread these things sometimes <laughs> uh, occasionally there's some dream you know, important dream work or or i'll do um 
whether I'm actually sleeping or not. It's a kind of incubation. Um, it looks like sleeping uh, to try and find some answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on a personal level, I think astrology is kind of interesting. So I'll, I'll use some of that. Uh, but uh, we don't have any really, we don't have some good strong evidence for Irish, uh, for Irish astronomy. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff from the Neolithic period before the Celts arrived. Um, mm. But there's not a lot of really strong stuff for during, uh, during that period. And then when Christianity arrives, you get um, what was brought in from, um, uh, from the Mediterranean, right? Because everyone mm. was talking with everybody else. Nobody was like, lost in their own little, in their own little space. And so Beth's written a paragraph here. Um, yeah, let's, let's take was, a moment and explore that. Yeah, let's, yeah. yeah, okay. I'm really interested in how you identify your patron. In Ifa Orisha, that patron, patron or, patron. or patrons is, are identified through divinatory process. What I was asking is how, in your tradition, do you identify your patron? Is it through divination, intuition, acclamation unless i gapped and you answered i know certain celtic gods goddesses attract me blue included but i don't know if i can claim one as my own i agree Beth. like for me i'm attracted to Lou, but so yes could could you add yeah no i can't answer that (laughs) sorry uh it's it's closer to intuition it's Instead of like, if you think of some of the some of the traditions that have a really strong divination, you know, the the, the shells are cast and bam, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of like an arranged marriage by a matchmaker who knows what they're doing, like they're right. they're just discovering what's already there, and ours is right. more like a courtship process. You know, there's a bit of dating around. You learn the stories. You you get the feeling, and and so like it's a it gradual, yeah. And, and you sort of grow into it. There might be a wonderful mm-hmm. dream and a great aha moment, um, but in, in my practice at least, um, we might have a conversation with somebody to facilitate them discovering who their, uh, who their patron is. But I wouldn't say, even if I'm like, yeah, you're Morrigans, I would never say that. They have to, to walk around it. Like they, they need to, to come to it in a, an uh-huh. organic process that they own from the inside out. And that's just through in through intuition, through living day to day, you know, Good put up a shrine, see how it works, that sort yeah. of thing. So there was one time with uh, uh, a young woman in UTPS, um, we were doing the same process um, and it was a, she, her practice was more Greek oriented. Um, but I was just using the practices that I know, right? And after a long period of many conversations late at night after the UTPS events, we'd, we'd all of us, we'd go to the pub and then we'd, we'd be having conversations. And then finally she said, oh, I'm, I think now I'm really sure that, that it's Persephone. And I smirked and she hit me <laughs> on the shoulder like, you knew and I think that that wasn't my story to tell like this is between the two of you yeah Um, so it's so it's a much it's a softer Mm -hmm. way of getting around to it um 
just because uh, our tradition doesn't arrive whole cloth. Um, you know, so it's not an unbroken lineage. There's not a, so we, we, we play with it a bit differently and we're not as sure to, um, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, I, you know, we, I wouldn't want to be decreeing things left, right and center like that wouldn't be, you know, I don't have the backing to, to do that. It would not be appropriate, culturally speaking, right? Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're a neo-pagan tradition, however we want to frame that. So it right. is what it is. Right, right, yeah. right. Okay. So interesting, interesting. Um, with regards to using divinatory, as you know, with the African traditions, a lot is with uh, div divinatory. And, you know, when I look back to my own journey and I instinctively, instinctively knew it was sort of, um, I would say, I don't know if you would agree or not to Brian, almost um, a calling from one yeah. sort of deity. Like for me, it was always an attraction to, to Artemis because I could mm. associate with her. And there's that certain personal um, association and the personality traits, right? And would you think that that would be something that you yourself would feel? You know, that's oh, what yeah. I call spirit. Yeah coming in to play uh, the spirit of Lou or the spirit of Artemis or the spirit of um, the divinity you always have known within yourself. Yeah, that's the biggest part. And you will in some way share, share certain qualities and traits. You know, when, mm -hmm. when, when you come up with an answer, uh, you, you might be startled, but it won't be because you're like, oh, I've never seen any of that in me. So it, like that won't be why. You know, yeah. There'll always be something about you um, in that relationship because we're we're ways of bringing forth certain mysteries and certain themes into the world, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So um, you know it would be it would be very unlikely that uh, to, to skip pantheons for convenience. There aren't a lot of celibate children of Aphrodite out there, yeah. or <laughs> yeah. May, Maybe there are for reasons that make sense in context, but as a general rule, you know, there's, there's uh -huh. some loving happening. Um, yeah. And, and so I think that, uh, that, you know, that's true for, doesn't matter what the tradition is. Like there needs to be a good, a good match. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you get the things that yeah. relate to, to your own. No, for sure. For sure. Uh, just, just a, an interest of time. I, I want to cover off two more concepts or questions, but also one question from our audience. But before I, I read the one from uh, our audience, um, when we spoke in private, we had talked about again the importance of language, words, concepts, mm, yeah. and we mm -hmm. talked about the relationship between the elements of the body in Irish cosmology. Right. Yes. Right. Good wanted, point. If you wanted to, to touch a little bit upon that. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. We, we were looking at you know commonalities in terms of words or concepts, uh, and one one particular item which kind of sort of follows from that you know our discourse on divination and, and feeling and all that is concept of of fate and right. uh, and fate and you know things like uh, um, you know words like in the Yoruba like Ori and Ashe. And, and their equivalents. And I know that 
because of your focus on on the storytelling, language is very critical in your sort of appreciation and your analysis of this tradition, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for for bringing that up. The the elemental piece that that goes into the storytelling. Remember earlier, I was saying that we had sort of the a biblical tree with the Celtic stuff grafted on just after Noah. Mm -hmm. So there's no creation story. But yes. in the margins of one of the manuscripts, and this happens twice, it happens once in Ireland and once in Wales, actually. The wording is slightly different. And of course, one's in Irish and one's in Welsh. But they, uh, uh, the, the monk in his own hand in the margin uh, gives an alternative creation for Adam. Uh, in, in the Irish one, it, it says, um, and God uh, rolled together some of the sky to make the head of honest Adam. And from the sun, his face, and from the moon, his heart, and from the sea, his blood, and from the stones, his bones, and from the earth, his flesh, and from the wind, his breath, and from the clouds, his brains, and from the light in the deep, that is his Christianity. I'm pretty sure I've got the order of those wrong, but you get the gist, you know. Yes, yes. So, no, I so like. We're them. shaped. We're shaped in the in the from the world, and it's the exact opposite of the Yimmer story, where Yimmer is torn apart to make the world, and his head becomes the sky, and his mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't get the sun and moon stuff, but his sea, be his blood becomes the sea, and his bones become the stone. So there's there's a general Indo-European myth that we probably had mm -hmm. before that was mm -hmm. covered over. Uh, you find it in, in Norse material, you find it in India, you find it in this marginalia in Ireland. But the word dual, or the plural is dula, uh, means an element, a living being, or a thing created. Um, and peripherally, it's related to the word for leaf, which I think is just charming, because the leaf is sort of put forth by the tree, right? I don't know, yeah. if, that's a, I don't know if that's a pun, or they're actually related, but they sound the same. Um, no. so, so that's the doula word. So you are, uh, you are made in the shape of the whole of the world. So you're, you're the microcosm, the world is the macrocosm. That's right. And in, in the stories, Ireland is like a mesocosm. It, it's a stand in for the whole of the world, just like the body is. Mm -hmm. It's got five provinces around the center. There's, mm -hmm. there's something there. So when human beings arrive in Ireland for the first time, um, they're, they're arriving into the world, basically, because it's sort of a middle cosmos between the microcosm mm -hmm. and the macrocosm. Uh, so that's the doula word. What was the other one you were wondering about? Uh, well, we were talking about words, or you had, you had a sort of within your uh, uh, research of Irish words, you had come across words like feeding, coir, dan. I'm probably butchering right. yeah, that's all right. That's and yeah. uh, but and you had likened the concepts to Yoruba concepts of Ori, Ashe, and I would add also the mm -hmm. concept of destiny, Ori, mm -hmm. form of, as it relates to destiny. Right. Yeah. So, so one of the Irish words for for fate or destiny is dawn, and and dawn is if you go backwards in time and then back up another branch of the language tree, it's the same as the word donate. Don is yeah. that which is given. So donate comes from the Latin, uh, but if you go far enough back in the Indo-European tree, uh, don uh, comes from that same early origin. So it's that which is given. So don is 
um, all of your skills or talents that you're born with, but it's also your fate or your destiny. Uh, and yet it's also a word that means skill, or sorry, that means boldness. So you have to seize it. Not only, it's not only what is bestowed, you have to get off your butt. Um, and it's also the word for poetry. So there's, there's, with boldness, there's like the same word meaning all of these things. It's something that must be seized. It's something that must be spoken. It's something that you've got to do, but it's also innately in you. It's been given to you to do. So there's, there's a kind of both uh, receiving and active quality in it. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, uh, I was mentioning a, a, a little proverb that says, uh, a man will not burn whose dawn it is to drown. So that one gives a very fateful notion to it. Um, but it's usually not as brutal as all that. There's a, it's sort of a wide road that there are many ways to express your dawn. Uh, and if you express it well, you're doing all right. And if not, you're in, like, if it's a wide road, it's easy to avoid the ditch, but some people still end up in the ditch. So how do you... Sounds boring, Ruben. Yeah. <laughs> so how do I get out of the ditch when I'm in the ditch? Because we're all in the ditch sometimes. But, yeah. but that, how do I act on what is given? Right. Yeah. And so I just yep. love that concept. And what about the, the words feeding, koir? Uh, fierna. Fierna. Yeah, fierna is, is just the word for, for truth. But the, the, when, you, when you live in truth, um, things are just better. Like the, there's, there's uh, one of our ethical texts that it talks about the, the truth of the prince or the truth of kingship. And so when, when the king is good, the relationship with the, the realm is good. Uh, it's often mistranslated as his relationship with the land. Uh, the first person to say that was, um, uh, at least in an Irish context, was, was in 1968. But it's really a relationship with the realm. Because if we think of land as actual land, right, there's also sea and sky and weather and mm -hmm. all the things. Mm -hmm. But but we've started taking the word land to mean more than land, right? In the same mm -hmm. way that um, since the 70s, Gaia and the Gaia hypothesis makes her the whole planet. Yes. But in, in yeah. the original Greek stuff, Gaia is the sister to Uranus and Okeanos. She's only a third of land, sky, and sea. So she's not all mm -hmm. the things. She's not the wind. She's not the forest. She is land and i'm not minimizing she, land yeah. that is important yeah. but yeah earth not not earth as in the, the, the plant flying through space yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. and same with with tail two or or tell us um but yeah to to have to live in ferna uh the elements respond in turn so so a good king uh gives you uh social harmony as well as um as well as natural harmony and when you've got a bad king, uh, the, the society falls out of harmony and nature falls out of harmony. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, can you, can you imagine a country where there's, there's a leader who's so terrible that, that social systems fall apart and the police are turning against the people and kids end up in cages? America I mean, with Trump. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a really, uh, it's almost cartoonish in its perfection um, uh -huh. as far as showing like the bad king and in the in the stories that relate to Lou, and that that part of the story, there's a uh, he starts off as a hero, but there's somebody named Bresh, and it, his his name is Bresh the Beautiful, and they tell you that Bresh means beautiful, 
the bresh actually means clamor, loud noise, right? And <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. And so he ends up being a bad king and everything falls apart. We've got, we've got stories of good kings, but the stories mm -hmm. with the bad kings are more fun because it's like, ah, that's how it all falls apart. Note to self, yeah. don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just want to make this is a now now that you introduce a political just just for, for the record because it's yeah. been on my thing. Everybody's complained about Trump for four years. Imagine Cuba for sixty plus years. I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah, sixty plus yeah. years. Yeah, that's a lot. The states couldn't handle Trump for four years. Imagine Cuba in sixty years where you have absolutely no right to anything to freedom of speech to your body to your path in life where you basically have to put your tongue where the sun doesn't shine mm. for 60 plus yeah years. that is brutal so yeah. uh, because rainer rainer is uh baba nelson's son so and he says you're right brother so for all those people yeah. that i just want to i just want to point that out don't forget and that. Poland. Last year, but Poland Under is communism. all Democrat, but mm. Cuba is still 60 plus years. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. The, the importance of good rulership, and that's what Farina oh, sure. points to. And coir is a, is a justice word, uh, yep. and it's, it's about rightness as well. The, the harp that mm -hmm. Dagda plays, um, it has the word coir in its, in its name, it's called four-angled music or, or harp of two songs. And it's what turns the seasons in a good way. Right, and when, right. when we don't have justice, we don't have, you know, things turning in a good way. So the way we, the way we relate with each other, the way we relate to the environment, these things need 100%. to be done in, in a good mm -hmm. way. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, actually, well, that's a, a term for another show. Sure, um, but it's but uh, it's there in the language, and it's there okay, in, in right, right other now, people's there, sacred there, language there's too. A group, there's a group that there's a group in Cuba. Mm. Again, still after sixty plus years, they're being their rights are being uh, violated. They've been incarcerated. They're on a hunger strike. Thirteen people, and that's going on today. Wow! And there's demonstrations wow. in Miami and everything else, saying like, "Come on, guys, sixty plus years." You're right. Yeah, yeah, I hear so, you. So that's you know I've been quiet on that subject for a while, but that just you know that really, uh, especially with Rainer, that because I know that's been going on. Mm. People are crying, people, a, a mother, you know, in her sixties being beaten, her rights being taken, and the world is. Yeah, that that's that is brutal, mm -hmm. and. And for all that I believe in, like a, a good, strong separation between uh, religion and politics, your your religion should inform your values, and you need to Ashe. act based on those. Ashe. Yeah, and that's justice, and freedom, and autonomy, and care. And, Absolutely. And, 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 I'll say this, and I'll say this last week because, and I apologize for digressing. No, no. Bring and it. now, yeah. spirit speaking. Four years with Trump, dictator. Uh, totalitarian, fascist, and everything else. No American wanted to tolerate that. Then how is it that the same groups that have cried out and attacked that have been silent for mm. six 
plus years with Cuba. So the, so the fact that Cubans are not entitled to the same freedoms and liberties and all that, that the Americans are. It's hard. That's something to remember. Yeah. That's something to mm -hmm. remember. Yeah. Well, I think thank a little thank you for sharing. Yeah. No. So that term. I can, I can feel the big the big mm -hmm. feelings around that because it, it deserves yeah. it. Like, yeah. No, because you get up to here with it, right? Yeah. For 60 years, everybody, everybody goes to Cuba. Everybody flies and has a beautiful vacation. They mm -hmm. don't give a rat's ass about the freedoms yeah. and everything else in Cuba. Cuba is old and all that. The stays four years. Mm -hmm. Four years. Yeah. And for anything Trump has done, it pales mm. to the hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children have died in the sea leaving Cuba. Mm. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Over, over decades. Yeah. The people in jail, the people and all that. So very interesting that that, that, that uh, comment come up. Queer. That that's that's the justice word. So we were just talking Queer about just that. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Queer. It's gonna be my new favorite word. Queer. Justice. <laughs> Excellent. And duile. Duile? Duila? Dula. That's Dula. the element word that we were talking about. Yeah. So one 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 duel, two doula. Right. Or, or in this case, nine. Because it's the the sky, sun, moon, cloud, wind, stone, greenery, uh, sea, like all of those things. Absolutely. Um, Elemental. So, which brings me to the, the last, because I'm, I'm sorry, we're, we're going a little bit over. Uh, nine minutes. I got a little bit oh, of no. sidetracked on that uh, <laughs> political thing. But, but we start about things that. are important. You got you to gotta give voice to truth. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, especially with this, I think you have to speak the truth. Um, images of water. You you touched upon it. Uh, interesting, very interesting that you touched upon the uh, Imrana. Yeah, Im Imram. Yeah, Imram. Imram. Imrama, that's the the rowing yeah. about the water journey. Yeah. The water journey, and and that's also very prevalent. Uh, I don't know if you. I I sent you a video. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. I don't know if you got a chance to see it from Erith Herger. Uh, yeah, about I didn't get a chance to see it today. Yeah. 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 He, he, he did a video, a very interesting video, and called Crossing the Water, Old Norse Afterlife. The wow. reason I'm bringing this up is you brought the Imrama, yeah. the story talks about the Imrama, that journey, that journey of water, and the concept of animism, animism in within the belief. In other words, it's not just... You know, we use the term paganism, mm -hmm. uh, but even in terms of the, the human body being composed of the elements and, um, you know, th that water, that journey of water to find or to, mm -hmm. to meet or to journey to find spiritual being. That was the subject of that one from Aerith Herger. Oh, okay. And it, it, yeah. uh, that was the whole the concept about that, you know, unlike the Judeo-Christian or a lot where, you know, you go to heaven, you go, you know, somewhere else. That those that the spirit world is right here, right? And the water is always the crossing of water and, and all that. And the journeys or the, the audit to cross water is usually implied that you can reach the underworld or you can reach um, the, the spirit world 
here, right here. You don't have to go you know, and so forth. So is that your understanding within the you know, the stories, the composition of those 250? Is that would you describe them as beyond just pagan, but almost also a very strong animistic component? Yeah, as they were written, that right. part can feel a bit thin. But if you scratch okay. the surface, definitely, because they, they were written later, right? So you couldn't say, right. you know, Dagda is the sky. And cause one of his names is, is Dargaric, which is like red eye. Like that's the sun. So the sun is either the eye of the god of heaven or she's a goddess in her own right. Right. Uh, or she can be both at the same time. Like, you know, who am I to judge? But <laughs> the, so the, yeah, the, everything is, is very animistic, but we right. don't have the, the tidy tags that, uh, like mm -hmm. with the Orishas, it's easy to say with, with right. Maya or Oshun. Uh, we, we can say that Don is death. Um, and he rules the land of the dead. He's very much sort of the Hades figure, also associated with bulls again. Uh, but then there are others that would be it would be harder. Uh, Lou's name literally probably means oath. Uh, there was a time that, that it was thought to mean uh, lightning. Um, and that one still might have some legs, but maybe not. A okay. um, hundred years ago, people were trying to make it mean shiny. Uh, because they were trying to make everyone a sun god. Um, that doesn't stand. Uh, but Oath is the most likely contender. But there's something about his relationship with wind and breath and him fighting with Balor is associated with like August storms and right. stuff like that. So Balor is the, the storm. Well, who's, who's exactly the storm in this is hard to say, but there's something happening there. Just like with Thor and the, uh, uh, and the giants when they fight, there's you know, all mm -hmm. the things going on. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but Lou would be more closely uh, associated with Odin. You know, spear bearer, winged hat, leads the army of mm -hmm. the good guys against the, the bad guys. Like they, they share that whole thing. And they both get covered by Michael when the Christians come in and put churches on the shrines. So, <clears throat> good so old they, both have, they have a certain Michaeline quality, you know? <laughs> I like Michael, St. Michael. I don't have a problem with him. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But yeah, to, to make a, a longer answer short, right. um, the, at its core, it's animistic. Um, but in the tradition, as it's handed to us, we need to be, we need to be cautious in reconstructing it because we can jump yeah. too fast. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah, very good point. Good point. The fact that Bowen is a river like, and a cow, like, there's no doubt there. That's, that's clear. Yeah. And right, then there are yeah. other stuff that we're harder to, it's harder to say. Yeah. But uh, well, one of my favorites, Mev, she's one of the sovereignty goddesses. A right. man, a king becomes king by marriage to sovereignty. And sovereignty is, she is that fair enough quality. She is, she is truth. She is justice. Um, but Mev, who's one of the, the sovereignty goddesses, her name literally means she who intoxicates. And so she is, she's the mead, it's the mead word. You know? Yeah. Is, is her name, but how is that for a symbol of power that on one hand, she is the, she gives the king power and he has to use it in truth and justice, but she's also she who intoxicates. Isn't that kind of what power does? So she has, yeah, you know, so she's, yeah she's both the, the, the goodness and the danger of, of uh -huh. she's the essence of, of political power you know, yeah. and what's in a, uh, a good cup. So, uh -huh. Yeah. And other things too, but like 
those yeah. those are part yeah. of her nature. The key the key elements, key components. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to table one last question because I know we're abusing your time, uh, Brian. It's just yeah, such a delight to have you with us. But, oh, it's so fun. fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yanni Fass, what about a person like myself that is 12% European, Scottish, Irish, and British? What form, oracle, what form of oracle in these traditions, Ireland, for example, can I use to find which lineage and patron deity might be part of my family? Yeah, that's... That's not really how we use oracles. I mean, I, from from uh, an Ifa point of view, the the question is perfect. It makes perfect sense. But but at our end, we don't we don't do things in, in quite that way. Right. Um, I wish I had a good answer. Um, if if you know who your Orisha is, see who shares those same mysteries. I mean, if even if I'm a splitter and mm -hmm. not a lumper, as far as who's who, right. I would at least have the right vibe. Right, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, like, like if, if if your dad's a carpenter and my dad's a carpenter, they probably have things to talk about. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. go that route if you want to. But I'm, I'm really just guessing here. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be a divinatory piece so much as uh, learning the stories and seeing what, what speaks to you, right? Like, who are the, mm -hmm. and, and they come as a package. So learning stories from some other about the different god or all the gods together right um that's that's the tribe of them that's the the set of relationships so it's never time wasted but mm -hmm. for me the answers are in the stories but i'm a storyteller so that's a terribly biased answer i'm just gonna throw that out there <laughs> and, and, and last, last question and okay. i probably you know my word for me at least as we we wrap up <laughs> because we're talking about ancestral eyes we, we touched upon Irish gods. We talked about the stories, the elements, you know, the, what about uh, within the stories, the, the reverence, and in terms of your own spiritual journey, the, the awareness of an, your ancestral spiritual guide or main guide, and or, you know, how do you define ancestors or how do you, have you found that they define, they define spirit or ancestors Within the stories and the uh, you know for the for the fila aspect, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The yeah, that's a hard one. Um, within a, a lot of versions of, of Celtic paganism, uh, you'll hear about the the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits of nature as a as a little triad, and those are an overlapping mm -hmm. set because the god of the dead happens to be an ancestor, and certain gods happen to be powers of nature, and like so, it's not. Mm -hmm. Separate, separate, but those three yeah. go together, uh, overlapping triangle or overlapping circles there. Um, but the for for me, it's about primarily, um, you know, the in my practice, it's nature and it's it's the gods, and the ancestral stuff is is not direct for me in the same way. It's about working hard to learn the language, working hard to, to gather the stories and to hold the stories, to understand, um, to value what they have valued, uh, but to do it in a way that's contemporary and appropriate to today. Um, and so I, I don't feel like I have like a particular ancestral guide um, mm -hmm. or if I do, um, like the 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 first the first druid Avergan, 
is fairly important to me. And that's one of the stories that I tell. And he has a, a poem that connects him with nature and, and those things. So um, I, he would hold that some of that quality, but whether he's a mythic figure or an ancestral figure, um, who can say, um, so in my own practice, like there's not a great grandmother or something that I'm like connecting with in that mm -hmm. way. It's more mm -hmm. the ancestors as a, as a whole host a whole. in some way that just, just because of my own relationship with my own history, you know, it, it, it hasn't sort of shaken out that way. Uh, mm -hmm. If you ask somebody else, you might get a different answer. Um, mm -hmm. But Avergan's uh, uh, one that, that I, I really quite like. His name means born of wonder or born of song. He's the first human being to step onto Ireland when, when, the, when human beings arrive. The gods are already there and humans arrive and he's the first one off the boat and his left foot is still in the sea and his head is crowned with the sky and when he puts his right foot on, on the land, he just erupts in this, this poem. Um, and it, it just, it's about 22 lines long, but I'm going to give it to you because we're already over time. We'll just keep going. Uh, <laughs> it, he starts off and, and the minute his foot touches the ground, he starts, I am wind on sea, I am ocean wave, I am roar of sea. I am the stag of seven tines, I am a hawk upon a cliff, I am a shining tear of the sun. I am fairest among herbs, I am bore of boldness, I am a wide flood upon the plains, I am a hill of poetry, I am a word of skill. I am a god who sets the head of fire with smoke. Who but I know the secrets of the unhewn dolmen? Who but I announceth the ages of the moon? Who but I know the place where falleth the sunset? On whom do the cattle of Tethra smile? Who calls cattle from the house of Tethra? What god, what troop, fashioneth edges in this fortress that rots? I am a spell upon a spear. I am a song upon the wind. And the wind was the first thing mentioned. So it, it just goes in a round. And it's like, he just, wow, with this. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that, that puts ancestor and nature and, again, the gods. Like it just, one thing is never only itself. I see, I see. Very shamanic. It it definitely has that ecstatic quality to it. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you. <laughs> right after all. I want that for my eulogy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Hopefully not for many years, Beth. Hopefully for not for many. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, thank yeah. you, Brian. It's been a distinct pleasure. I mean, yes. Uh, thank very, you, very Brian. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed myself, and it's always great chatting with both of you. Oh, thank you. No, I'm very glad that you came. And, of course, this is Beth's two furry uh, children. Oh, adorable. And they're Titi. For months, they've been watching our show religiously. There are more. Good, good. I hope they're learning a lot. Yeah. More like furry friends. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, cute. Very cute. Oh, now, before you go, Brian, yeah. um, we always ask our guests for a life quote. And I like your life quote. And Beth, I think you're going to like this one. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to think of a different one tomorrow. And I'll be like, oh, I should have used that. But for now, <laughs> um, it's one of, the, one of the Irish triads. And it's three candles that illuminate every darkness truth, nature, and knowledge. Thank you. 
Thank you. Very good. Okay, you all have a wonderful night. Thank you, Brian, for coming on. I appreciate it. We finally got you, and and I'm glad. So thank you so much for coming. Uh, You know, it's funny, Beth. Yeah, Beth messaged me and said, I was wondering when you were going to ask Brian. And I said, Beth, I've been trying since this show started. (laughs) You were very diligent. And uh, my schedule's been a zoo. So thank you for bearing with me. Yeah. And and like I said, I'm grateful that you were able to come on. I really am. And I'm so glad that you did. Thank you so much, Brian. It means a lot. It really does. Yes, and Melvin. Speaking of the the horned the horned god, the 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 cow, the cattle. There's our friend Melvin. <laughs> he loves that. Every time that I see that little horned image. head, I always go, "Hey, yeah. Melvin!" <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you, Melvin. Okay. Right, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. We we, yes. we love you all, Dave, and uh, we wish you much health, long life, a special prayer. Uh, to uh, significant yes. other of uh, of our uh, good friend Ken Allen, uh, we're hoping uh, prayers for him for his partner who is uh, very very Kevin uh, sick. Story. Kevin who's, Story who's had, who's a in, in mm-hmm. had a stroke. He's had a stroke. So our prayers uh, may the the Orisha, the divinities, the Irish gods, the ancestors, and the elements support him and give him full mm-hmm. uh, healing and full Absolutely. restoration and uh, our prayers and our and our, our best wishes are with you both ken allen we're we're sending prayers your way to uh to kevin and in hopes of his recovery okay sure. so I, I and i wish everybody would just take a moment after the show and just send some good healing vibes to him okay sure. so thank you Thank you once again, Brian, and thank you, Jean-Jerome, for doing such a wonderful uh, job um, behind the scenes, as always. And uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in. Everybody, stay safe, please. I know we all still have to wear the mask. Um, Stay safe, and uh, we'll get through this. We really will. All right. So we'll say good night. Good night, everybody. Take care. Have a great weekend. All right. Bye.